Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Leanne Bach with M Realty. Keep your finger on the pulse of Portland's hot real estate market. Call Leanne for unparalleled customer service and the highest level of marketing available. Make sure your position in the marketplace doesn't leave money on the table by visiting leannebach.com or call Leanne direct at 503-349-7890. And by Chew Dining Club. Chew gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Just download the app right now and check in at participating establishments. Get the rewards you want, like free pizzas, drinks, extended happy hour deals, and more. Plus exclusive information about fun food events and invites too. Chew. And welcome back to another edition of Right of the Fork. It is Portland's food scene podcast with your hosts, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And if you if you didn't uh, recognize what I just did, I pointed at Chris. <laughs> and then I'm Court Johnson uh, from 1019 Kink. And uh, we're now we're now venturing into what? Our, uh, we're in the nineties now. Are we close to the nineties? Oh, in terms of episodes, episodes. Yeah, no. I thought you. I thought we were being. You were referring to us as throwbacks. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I think we're going to be just about at ninety in terms of interviews. We have way more than that because we're on two and a half plus years. Yeah. of weekly podcasts on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That's when this these are released. You can look for a new one. But uh, yeah. A lot of episodes. A lot of episodes, lot. and I would recommend if you're enjoying what you're hearing, go back to those early episodes. I've started to do that the last couple of days because I'm like, I gotta go remember my history of this particular place and and, and see what it's all about. We'd recommend you go check out the archives. Uh, while you're there, you can uh, give us a review, give us a rating. If it's on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this, Google is a new place where you can Google just launched their podcast ability through through Android phones. They've got a place for you to find us. So go there, give us a rating. That'll help us out. And then also share it with your friends. Let people know about what you're hearing here. Spread the love. There are some really good podcasts. As a matter of fact, I think the numbers say that about 40% of our listeners are back into the archives, which I think is really cool. That's the difference between a radio show and a podcast in that it lives on, it's evergreen. and And we like to think we don't, as much as I do events, we don't cover events. We cover people. Right. And so they're evergreen stories. And and we'll have the opportunity to update some when we go back two years. Yeah. Um, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, this, the, the, uh, and I guess uh, as a secondary part of this is I got to we start warning people because I got to start warning myself. Certain in- interviews, and this one is definitely one of those, after the conversations we have and we're talking about a very specific subject, in this case, pastrami, I'm so hungry right now. Oh well, I am so hungry. Right are now. you free for lunch? I'm not. No, I'm, I have to. I have We're to race out. Tomorrow. Yeah, we are doing lunch tomorrow. We're doing that. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, a lot of people, if when you're talking about when it comes to pastrami in Portland, this is the guy who's doing it right. Ken Gordon, Kenny yeah. and Zooks, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I thought it was a fascinating conversation. He's had a lot of experience in the in food yeah. over 30 years, starting in New York, um, where he tells us as a little. I've never done a teaser before. There's a famous chef where he op- his restaurant right near his restaurant, right where he opened up, and um, interesting story to hear. And uh, you know he's grown up in the food business, and now he's got one daughter mm-hmm. who's doing some crazy 
great things. And, and, a, what, and, a, and a son that's doing something completely different. Right. Which is awesome. Right. And so uh, I think he had a lot to say. This is the first opportunity, I think. No, that's not the first time I've ever met him in person. I, 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 not long ago. And that's why we said, hey, you got to come on the podcast. But I've been following Ken on Facebook for a while, and he's pretty outspoken politically. Um, we don't like to get into political discussions here on Right at the Fork because we have, we must, by virtue of percentages, have listeners who have different One would, But I would assume, sure. And we, you know, we're not here. We're not here to talk politics. But uh, Ken's outspoken, and uh, you can hear that come through loud and clear. Yeah. So um, some really cool stories about New York and how it compares to Portland. And I don't need to preface this. It's You're listening already. Yeah. You're going to hear it. You'll enjoy it. What did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast? I had a bagel and cream cheese and lox, everything bagel. From where? From some place. I don't know. They make great bagels, I've heard. And, and where did you learn to make bagels? Um, gosh, I, I never really learned how to make bagels. That's why we have somebody called Bakers. <laughs> so, no, we had a um, kind of starting starting recipe, and then um, um, Tim Healy from uh, oh, yeah. from Little T's came. Um, he worked for us for the first six or eight months we were open, developing kind of our bread program. So he did our, all, basically took the recipes and then changed them into, you know, Thing recipes that were then capable of making two hundred of them or whatever. So you know, there's a difference between seeing a recipe and then you know making making it times you know hundred or two hundred or so. Well, and not only that, but making a good bagel. They're, exactly. they're harder to find. Actually, they're you know these days they're getting easier. It's easier to find in Portland for yeah. a long time. You C- couldn't certainly, find one. Yeah, I mean, we're, I think I think we we were really one of the first to make a decent bagel, and I mean, people like Kettleman's and I. Couldn't believe that, but um, we. I think we did, and then there's been a few that have come along since that have uh, that have that have been good. I think. Yeah. I'm being very. I'm being very diplomatic here. You'll notice that I'm usually not <laughs> quite so. You've seen my Facebook page, so it's. You know, oh, it's, I'm quite aware that you're. Not, and I. And um, my my ex-wife actually says that I only open my mouth to change feet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it the the first thing that I could think of. Um, when we were, when I was thinking of doing this, is you know, and I I mentioned it to you, and you said, well, we need a little more time to do this. But the two personalities, you and Nick Zukin. Oh boy, you're getting right to it, aren't well, you? Well, we're gonna get there eventually. But since you and you said about I could curse, di- right? You said foul language is allowed. Since you're talking about being a diplomat, right? Court always find the right segue. For, um, uh, yeah. Okay. But I, but and I don't, I'm not I'm not trying to open the door for right. anything other than to say, you guys are two very outspoken personalities who yeah, okay. have, I know, different political views. That's oh, definitely sure. different political views. And yes. so um, I guess we could just get to what what happened to have you guys decide to open a restaurant together, and then hmm. we don't need to talk about what ended it, but right. how did you guys converge? Um, well, it was, um, I had Ken's place before this. I don't know if you ever ate there. And um, we had a barbecue night because we actually Rodney Muirhead from from Podnas, before he was well, he was still Rodney Muirhead, but before he was Podnas, he had a partner who they had a barbecue place called Low Barbecue, which stood for laid off workers. They were both two IT guys from Texas who knew how to barbecue, were out of work, and had a barbecue thing called Low that they had at the downtown farmers market. It was kind of an itinerant 
barbecue place. So they had it was first downtown at the farmers market, then it was at the end of Hawthorne um, near the um, near the county building, and then it was at a Pizza Shoals on dark nights on Monday. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't afford. We to just keep... heard about that from Brian. I was oh yeah, I didn't know okay. about it. So, um, they just couldn't keep it going. They couldn't afford. They had they needed jobs. So I bought their rig and the name, and they gave me some recipes, which I promptly ch- kind of changed. Um, I went, and then Nick, who was, um, I knew Nick through um, extramsg.com and portlandfood.org, his food blogs. And he had, didn't have a restaurant then. He was, he, he was a blogger. He had never even worked in a, a restaurant as far as I knew. He was an IT guy, right? He was an IT guy who, yeah. had a food, who was a food blogger and, and had these two blogs, which I occasionally wrote on and contributed to. So that's once I bought, um, I bought the barbecue rig and started a Tuesday night barbecue thing, I, I sort of legally put it out my back door and was smoking meats there on Tuesday nights. And we were jammed, and it was it was a great little setup. And Nick, when he heard that I had bought Rodney's barbecue rig, he introduced himself in person, and we got together, and he, he said he was going to Austin um, to eat barbecue with a friend of his, want to come along. So I took a week long weekend, and we just ate barbecue like crazy. I couldn't keep he's up a with good either researcher, of them. man. I've never seen he, anybody he research the he way is. he does. He's, he's got a really good palate, and he's got a really good food knowledge. You know, he's pretty encyclopedic. And um, so we went, and we kind of got to know each other. And then, about uh, maybe a year later, um, on one of his on PortlandFood.org, there was a thread about deli, and some and everybody was kind of bemoaning the fact that there was no good pastrami in town. There was no good Jewish deli. And it eventually came around to, oh, well, Ken smokes meat and pastrami's a smoked meat. He should try it. So Nick called me up. We got together and said, let's try to play with pastrami on your, in your smoker. So we did. And we spent a couple of months getting kind of perfecting the recipe, which is pretty close to what it is now. And we then looked around and said, well, what are we going to do with it? We could do about 100 pounds at a time. What are we going to do with this? So we rented a booth at the Hillsdale Farmer's Market, where a lot of the Jewish population of Portland is, on Sundays, and we brought pastrami and chopped liver and Dr. Brown sodas. We found some rye bread somebody made and condiments, and we were selling it by the pound and sandwich. Well, plus Taste Bud was doing bagels there, too. What a, uh, I maybe think that, that was time, later. That was later. Yeah, because okay. we're, now we're going back about 11 years. All right, well, it would be nice to have the app to put all these little startups exactly. together. Yes. And, and, like, and, and like a Pokemon map. You can have the oh little God. dot of where. <laughs> yeah. No, There's but, one on your crotch, by the way. It's um, uh, <laughs> well, don't go for uh, it. Don't, throw, my phone don't throw the ball. Throw a ball. Yeah, because we really yeah. need things to get people more attached to their phones. <laughs> um, anyway, so we um, we opened this this booth, and I I think we called it Pastrami King, or I don't remember even remember anymore. And um, so everybody be walking around the the, um, the the farmers market, which opened at ten, and looking at the tomatoes and looking at the the tomatillos, and oh, I'm going to buy some of this. Meanwhile, we had a line sneaking through with people waving $20 bills saying, save me a pound, you know, and we would be sold out in 15 minutes. And then we had to stay there until the thing closed at two o'clock or something. And well, so what would you do while you're sold out? You yeah, nothing. We just people? look at the tomatoes and the tomatillos and not much else we could do. You could, oh, you so they're in count their money. You can't <laughs> shut, you can't close the booth down. Yeah, no, gotta, we did, but look, we had nothing left. Right. You got to look like you're there anyway. <laughs> so um, then we, it was like, okay, after a few months of that, we said, okay, what are we going to do with this now? So we started a, a Saturday brunch at uh, that I was closed for at um, Kenny at um, Ken's place, and built a brunch menu around it with French toast and bagels and blah 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 all this stuff. 
same results, lines out the door, around the block, and we just, you know, we knew we were kind of onto something. So we did that for about four or five or six months and then said, okay, what next? And we started looking for a space. So, okay, but you've now spent a year at that point or somewhere near there with Nick. Well, uh, at least along? on Saturdays. Were you guys getting along? Yes, no, we, got, mean, no, we got along. To, yeah, we okay. got along. We, we still get along. We just don't really communicate at all, so it's really easy. <laughs> that's, that, that's it's it's really it simple to get along <laughs> when you don't see, communicate. Um, and, um, so we did, the, and then we found the space and built it out and opened and the rest is uh, history. Um, and Nick hasn't really been, he, we kind of had a falling out after about two years into the nine that we've been open and he just, we were kind of co-general managers. I was back of the house and he was kind of front of the house and books and things. And we just, it split. So he quit and we resigned or ran, um, and um, and then I made him an offer and and paid him off and that was it. Okay. Well, I only ask because it's a great name, right, Kenny and Zeke. Yeah. No. And, a- and people ask me all the time, "You're going to change the name after after he left?" I said, "No, it's our trademark." And you know, yeah. So you're nine years now. Is that what you? It'll is- be nine years in October. Uh, congratulations. Thank that's you. that's hard to do. You got a great location. It's a great location. Yeah. Um, I actually saw. I was actually parked outside of your. Just had breakfast. Was in my car doing. Wasn't doing Pokemon Go. <laughs> But I was allegedly doing, I was doing something. This was a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. I don't know if you were there. And the guy, there's a guy walking next to me, and I heard the sirens. And as I'm looking at my phone, this guy peels off, and then two cops come, uh-huh. run around the corner, and they run into your restaurant and tackle him. Yeah, I heard about that. Well, not that long ago. It was yeah, like it was a, within like a, a year month ago. Or, yeah. I, well, it wasn't. A, no, that might, it was within a month. It's, it was it's another not, one. It's not that unusual occurrence. I mean, that neighborhood is. It's a. It's a really interesting neighborhood, and and it's gotten more interesting, or maybe less interesting. You know, when we got it, it was Vaseline Alley, and it wasn't the West End. That was a. That was a. Uh, you know, uh, I think some real realtor came up with that one, and uh, and then we went in with the Ace, and it was um, called Vaseline Alley. It was well, not officially, but that was. I mean, our our space was scandals before they. Well, after they they had been closed, so we had to clean it all out, and uh, and uh, you should have seen all these. Uh, we had these kind of yokel um, um, construction workers who had to clean out who had to clean out the the, the glory holes were still in the bathrooms. So mm. they were they were like, "Do we oh, need toxic man. shock suits for this?" And I said, "Yeah, I think it'll be all right. They've been closed for three years." <laughs> And then they and moved so down you the didn't street. leave them just for old times. Sake. No, we didn't. We were thinking about it, but uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, we just got renovated. It was, but it, it, it's it's you know it's not the pearl, which is a good thing from my perspective. I, I mean, I think it's certainly the rent is better, and um, it's it's a little more diverse, um, just in terms of um, things like cops running in, and um, and I get there at four in the morning every day, so it's it's. Um, Definitely more interesting at four in the morning. So what are you doing at four in the morning? Um, I'm kind of setting up the place and getting it ready for my cooks and doing the order list and putting away things and getting the prep list done and the transport list over to our other space. So it's kind of puttering around a bit. But so when my prep cooks and my bakers get in at six and floor staff and line cooks get in at six in the morning, it's they're all ready to go. They don't have to start wondering what are they going to do. And, you know, it's great because I'm done most days at noon or, or thereabouts and I actually have a life. I go to movies and go out to eat in the evening, and I see my wife. And uh, it's not like it's it's kind of unusual. I mean, I've been in this business thirty nine years, and it's kind of the first time that's really been the case. It took thirty nine years. Well, or, no, 30. 30, 30 years. 
well, with some with some interruptions. There there have been there have been daytime gigs for me during that time, but for the most part, it's a it's a nighttime thing. So, and you have some chops. You went to some pretty, you did some pretty cool culinary things. Yeah, I mean, career. I started out in Boston. I was I was a political science major during Watergate. Shocking. So. Um, that kind of turned me into a chef. Yeah, I went. I went on my honeymoon to the Watergate. Did you really? Yeah. Was, Did you get robbed? No. Yeah. We they more the opposite. They showered us with a bunch yeah. of great stuff. Two young, stupid people cool. who were there honeymooning. Got a lot of and during the cherry years, April, early April, cherry uh-huh. blossoms, just cool. incredible, beautiful. Um. Yeah. And then I I worked in um, in Boston for a while, then the Bay Area, then Paris for about three years, and Burgundy. And then back to New York and opened a restaurant and closed a restaurant. And then out here, I've been here, it'll be 25 years. What kind of restaurant in New York? In New York, it was a little place called Les Clues. And it was down in the kind of the border of the village and, and Soho, right on 6th Avenue, a block south of Houston. And it was a little French bistro that was a little bit ahead of its time there. And, and we were doing, I, you know, I was 33, I didn't know shit. I mean, I was just stupid. You know, I, I, I could cook, and um, but... Um, isn't Coincidentally, it incredible how you look back and you think a 33-year-old, you, uh, you. Well, not, yeah, now 33, I'm like middle-aged. Yeah, yeah but, um, but isn't it interesting how much more you know now oh, yeah. than yeah. you knew then? Oh, but yeah. at the time, you thought you were pretty damn smart, I'm sure. Um, yeah, well, it took, it, 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 that evaporated pretty quickly. Um, um, Tom Keller, who, you know, you, um, you know who he is, mm-hmm. and he actually opened his first restaurant two blocks West of me, um, it was him in conjunction with this well-known little French restaurant in Soho called Raquel. So, um, so I'm sorry, Raoul's. So it, it became Raquel's and Raoul's and Tom Keller. And he opened this place and, and um, he used to come into our place two or three times a week. And he opened it. We opened two weeks before the stock market crashed in Black Monday in 87. 86. 87. Oh, I thought, okay. And he opened a week and a half later, three days before and um, he actually closed. We we stayed open for three years. He stayed open for three years minus a week. So we opened and closed virtually about the same time within a couple of weeks of each other. Do you was, know? Do you know him? Uh, I I'm sure if I don't know him now, I mean I'm I'm sure he would remember who I was. Um, but it's been 25 years since both of us left New York. So. Did you get to his place? Uh, haven't been to his place. No, no. In New York. In New York. Oh Did yeah. You? Oh yeah. So you got his food early. Oh yeah, on. no, very early. And he was, you know, he's he's a nut. You know, he's a brilliant, brilliant chef. And uh, but you know, he had a he had like a in New York he had a um, he had a, a a clean room where he did like airbrushing of on food and things. I mean, even back then he was he was pretty ahead of his time. Wow, nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, and he used to come into our place and call it um, French soul food. So he'd come in for cassoulet and you know things like that. Oh, that's quite an ex- uh, quite a memory to have. Yeah, yeah. No, Tom's a good guy. So you're. Um you are cooking consummate New York food. In uh, well, I mean, really, yeah, the pastrami is that sandwich. New York food? I guess it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, do, do you miss New York? Does it give you? Did it? Does it give you the enough of a uh, feel for it? To... Um, I mean, I get back once in a while. Like I, I, I did a dinner at for the. Um, we did an eight course, um, um, an eight course Sabbath Friday night dinner with. Eight, with seven other me and seven other deli owners around the from around the country and New York a couple of years ago as part of the New York um, fi, uh, feast or the New York um, food and wine festival and I think we're going and we're going to do something similar this October um, it was great we had a conference call with eight eight or ten Jewish deli owners 
um, on the phone at the same time trying to talk over one each other. We needed a, a mother slash referee slash cut man. I got just the it person. Was great. <laughs> just the person. Lisa should be that. Person. Lisa Schroeder. Oh, yeah. uh, abs- no, I don't think so because I think Lisa would become. She'd be in embroiled. It. Oh, she'd be right in the middle. Of it. Yes. <laughs> yes. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I miss I I miss New York in in certain ways. It's a it's. I mean, you know, I grew up there and lived there and, and opened a restaurant. I grew up in Queens, Bayside, Whitestone area. So are you a Met fan? Um, no. I've come back to the Mets, yes. I was actually not a Met fan. Grow. I mean, I grew up 10 minutes from Shea Stadium yeah, and so. watched it being built. And actually, at that time, I was a Dodger fan because my right. mentor, who just died at the age of 99, he was a, he's a, he was a playwright in L.A. who ended up in L.A., because in the late 50s, he was a communist and he went underground. He was being pursued, he thought. Um, and he went underground with his family for about six years and ended up going from Brooklyn to L.A. And so he, he was the person I was probably closest to in my life. So, and not to mention the fact that when I was becoming a baseball fan, being Jewish, Sandy Koufax was pitching right. for the Dodgers and how many Jewish baseball players also with the best left-hand fastball that ever lived. Um, so that's, that was my... and. I, I was a Dodger fan through the, probably through the 80s, and then I went back, you know, where I became a Mets fan again because I was now living in cities that didn't have ball teams. It's, like it's you know, it's interesting. It's easier to be less, to make the move now because of free agency. I think if you were in the old days, right. a team was a team. Right. Now it's, right. Now it's Yeah, now it's form. like you, you follow the players, not necessarily the team. Yeah. So you're, and when I've thrown a couple of things out there about baseball, man, you're right there. Yeah, that's that's where I got the feeling that I didn't know you very well. Oh, yeah, sorry, you did the list guy. of the. Didn't you do the list of the top ten, or who was it? I thought somebody else did. I don't know if that was my list, but uh-huh. I probably chimed in. I've done the hot dogs uh, right. or across the country. I did so. My sons and I did all the major league baseball uh-huh. part and came out here. But that was the first time when you chimed in about Sandy Koufax. Right. I felt like on Facebook, this guy's like Zukin, and then it <laughs> clicked on me. It's Ooh, like they're they, the yeah. same. They're, they're both all over it. You, you can't just. And you guys do your research. Yeah. That's and and you know your shit. Yeah, too. Well, usually, or at least we at least we think we do, or we portray that we do. Well, you but you put support points out. It's not uh, just make America great again and, <laughs> and leave it at that. So yeah, let's uh, go back to the let's go back to the twenties and thirties. Oh wait a second, that was the depression. Let's go back to the thirties. Oh wait a second, that was fascism. Let's go where we're. Gonna where go. are we now? Where do you think we are now? Where are we now? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, um, I'll tell you in November. Um, I, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not much, I'm not one of these people who are like, those were the days because they were never the days, you know, life was always hard and there was always tragedy and there was always, you know, fascists and there were always people trying to be, you know, I I think Donald Trump is an extreme example, but I think there's always been people like him. I mean, Joe McCarthy was Donald Trump, you know, and he's used social media right. wonderfully right. and that gets them out there there have right. been people like that but you didn't know uh, not as many people knew right. and saw as much that's the shocking part right. is there's so much to see well i think and, not as many people i think that that has made people aware of him but i also think it's made people aware of how absurdly scary this man is so i think it's worth on both ends you know it's it's now we can you know who knew who you know uh, these guys these um these anti-union um, um, people and all these people back in the 20s and 30s who were, you know, people didn't know who they were, really. I mean, except for unless you were involved in some right, protest or way something. To find it. But it's a, outside of politics, it's still with life. And this yeah. is kind of off on a tangent. But with life, there are 
yeah, the world can suck now, but it also can be a beautiful thing. There yeah. are a lot of things yeah. about the world now that are just fantastic that I think people take for granted. Yeah. We're living in our own mind. I, mean, I was driving down the road the other day, this beautiful road, and I thought, what would someone from 100 years ago think of being able to cruise down this oh, road yeah. at 68, yeah. 80 miles an hour, however fast it is? What a thrill yeah. it would have been, and yeah. we just take it for granted. So I think, yeah, there's there we're definitely addicted to speed, though, in this, in this world. I mean, I, I you know, being at the airport now more and more, you know, you look at people and it's, and it's like, and, and I've, I've done the same thing. It's, you know, oh, my, my flight is delayed 20 minutes. You know, it's like, you know, and, and people really get stressed out by that. And it's like, wait a second, a hundred years ago, you, I mean, going coast to coast, going to, to England, going, you know, on a long months. trip, it was months if yeah. you lived through it, you know, mm-hmm. people died on these things, you know, and now it's like 20 minutes you're delayed for a five-hour coast-to-coast trip and, and you freak off. out. Or if like you're on your computer and something doesn't download in a half a second, it downloads in three-quarters of a second, you freak the fuck out. And it's yeah. just, come have on, people. Have you seen let's... the Louis C.K. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. bit about flying? Yeah, yeah. Court, have you seen that? Oh, yeah. we got to find it and yeah. just maybe throw a little... Because it's true. Yeah. You're flying through the air. Really? And you're complaining. And, it's like, and you're complaining. And about you're it. complaining that there's no internet. The internet isn't working right. at the time. Right. Or my, you know, my, my beer didn't get here in, in 20 seconds. So, that- but I think that, you know, I, I think, I think the stakes today, you know, I mean, uh, the whole, the big thing with climate change is that, okay, that's potentially the end of the world. And we really, except for possibly the nuclear scare, Back in the fifties and which duck and cover and stuff, yeah. which could come back if Mr. Trump gets in. Um, I think the stakes these days are, you know, the world really could become unha- uninhabitable for human beings within the next hundred years, and that's a pretty sobering thing. And it, and and it's and it's pretty shocking that people aren't going like, okay, we really need to deal with this. I mean, come on, we're you know you're we're recycling, but that's not really dealing with it. We need to do this. A Manhattan Project type thing, and get the world together and figure this thing out if we can, if it's if it's not too late, and that to me is a, is a is kind of a is the big problem now, and and all the other stuff. It's like you know, there's always been violence, there's always been pedophiles, there's always you know, there's always been these kinds of things. It's just we're hearing about it ad infinitum, and we're you know maybe it's more often, more maybe it's leading to you know um, more frequency, but. It's there's always been that kind of shit, you know. Oh, I agree, and uh, I guess this is kind of getting off subject, but it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. I cut the cord on cable, yeah, um, earlier this year, so I'm not able to just flip the channels and watch CNN or mm-hmm. anything. And uh, I was a place last night where I could, and so the something comes up. I don't want to go into politics, sure. but I'm watching 60 Minutes, and then for me, oh, yeah. those drug ads. Are massively depressing. Mm-hmm. They're they're driving people to drugs for right. whatever reason, and you add that to the stories that are on and just the stuff we're being fed. It's really, really, really mm-hmm. depressing. And I realize how just turning it off. Mm-hmm. It's still going on, mm-hmm. but it's not. It doesn't have to go on in one's head. Right. So, but it uh, is an addiction. I mean, I think I think it's it's something that you have to wean yourself off of because you, you're you're so used to knowing all of this this stuff and then some and then all sorts of stuff that's just so completely superfluous and so much stuff that's just so blown out of proportion that I think when you cut that out off, it's like, you know, it's like going cold turkey. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're okay, what's happening in Bolivia right now? Oh, my and God. I saying can, what you know. about what? Right. That's, that's the other thing. So, so 
on a lighter note, okay. what do you like to do for pleasure? So you said you, you're not, you, you oh. have afternoons and evenings to yourself. Um, you know, I, I cook. Um, you know, and I, what do you like to cook? I would imagine you're not cooking pastrami when you no, go home. No, not really. Um, um, these days I, I tend to, I tend to cook more Asian, um, just because it's a, it's a kind of cooking that I haven't done a whole lot of in my life and I'm not, you know, I can do French blindfolded and I can do the whole repertoire and I can do Italian and I can do European cooking and American cooking, but, but Asian is like, I have to actually look and see, okay, am I doing this right? And how much of that should I add it? So I don't normally, I, I haven't followed recipes like ever, but for this, I kind of follow them. I still don't follow them to the letter of the law, but I, at least I look at them as a guide. And I, you know, once a month I go to, I go to a Wajamaya and I stock up on, uh, on, um, I want to get a little table and chairs and a little cot there and live there part of the year. Um, and just stock up on condiments and sauces and, and then cook Asian food for a week. And, uh, and, um, you know, and so far I'm doing things that I, it's easy in a way because it's all, it's all prep, it's all advanced prep. And then it's just the real quick kind of assembling at the end and the prep I can do pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, people ask my wife all the time, like who cooks at home? And she, she laughs and she says, you know, I like cooking, but he can do what it takes me 40 minutes to do. He can do in seven, you know, so that's a disincentive, you know, to be sure. So, you know, I'm cooking, and um, I'm an avid New York Times crossword puzzle doer. I haven't been since I was nine. Sundays? Oh, uh, yeah. Sunday's easy, actually easy. Friday and Saturday are way Is it really? Sunday. My yeah. mom was addicted to the Sunday puzzle, and that she did it every Sunday. Oh, yeah. No, I do it. And I actually read a book on Sunday, a whole book on Sunday, and then th- another three or four throughout the week, plus the Sunday crossword. I don't right. Know. It's um, impressive to me. I don't, even, I don't usually do Monday and Tuesday anymore because it's too easy. It takes 10 minutes or less. Um, so I kind of start with Wednesdays. And... A, what a snob! No, it's not he's a snob. A, it's he's just... making me feel so bad because I can't even. My, I tried them so many times. My mom can do this. Uh-huh. I, I'm just dyslexic when it comes yeah. to these puzzles. Well, it's, you, but it's like it's a just a, it's it's just a language. I mean, it's just a language you learn, you know. And a lot of this stuff is just words. I don't know if I think you you posted on my on my Facebook about this little vocabulary test, and it's like you know those things are kind of stupid because it's just it's trivia. You know, really is, and and a lot of language is trivia. It's like you know, I think using like the a word, like you forbid here. I mean, that's people fall. We, the what, what word do we forbid? Did I'm, not, even, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna say it. Amazing. Oh, that <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah, a word. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought you had another. I a think word. I think people <laughs> I think people um, fall back into words like that and words like interesting and words like you know. Thank things, you for for remembering that, things, and I didn't even remember. Well, I, I I drummed it into my head last night. I will not use that word. I but I'm guessing you probably don't use the word. I don't much. use it much. Yeah. Um, although the the 69 Mets, however, were quite were they. Amazing, yes. But that was an apostrophe. <laughs> Actually, wasn't a yes. Miss. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it's it's so anyway. I um, I I, I kind of started with Wednesday. Thursday's a, starts to be a little challenging. Friday and Saturday are really Saturday's much harder than Sunday. Sundays is just longer, you know. But it's not as it's not harder than Friday and Saturday. Um, I'm a avid movie freak i see everything and and know you know i can tell you lines from you know Cary grant rosalind russell movies from the 30s and am i putting it on the spot if i ask you to go top three your top three favorite movies oh, of all time god i don't know if i could do t- you know it's it's kind of like my top three f- best favorite foods i don't i don't know if i can actually narrow it down i can come up with a list of like 30 yeah um best comedy ever um some like it hot um 
but I, you know, I, you I don't. You like Albert Brooks in New York? I Academy? like Albert Brooks. Um, I, you know, I just, I don't think I could do it. Best films ever. I mean, mm. yeah, no, it's, you know, there's so many. There's just too many. I, I did come up with one just so I could answer the question. Oh, I'm okay. not 100% was the one? sure. It's a, I'm usually one, even with restaurants in Portland, I uh-huh. hate top one. I can uh-huh. do a top, just as you right. said, I can do a top 15, anybody, right. a lot of, uh, top one, I would, I would be comfortable with Shawshank Redemption. Oh God! As really? That is wow. my favorite. I'm not even sure that'd be on my top thirty. Yeah, okay. That's a good film, but there's, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of good films. You got more? I don't know that I have. Well, I, I have mine, and it's, it's. I don't think it would make anybody's like top one thousand. Well, I just got lopped off the top thirty, so you but, can go for it. But my my favorite movie, I can I can watch it every day, is Ronan. Ronan's a good film. Yeah. Well, now you're talking about the, the Robert De Niro Robert one. Robert De Niro. Okay, Ronan. that's a good film. I, a, I, don't, I don't know if I. I have to watch yeah. that. I don't for, know for whatever reason, that it just uh, connected right. with me. It, it just... might have been one of his last good films, actually. Yeah, no, it, it really was because yeah. then he went that comedy route. It was kind of like the last time that, that the last time that Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy were both funny. Yeah. Which is in the same movie. Right. And which one was that? Which is in. Uh, which was uh, the one where he's the director and, uh, and uh, Eddie Murphy Bo- plays Bowfinger. Bowfinger. Yeah. They both time they were both funny. That's a fabulous film. They were both hilariously funny, and then neither uh, one has been funny again. It's like they made an agreement. <laughs> After this movie, we no, will not just be do funny. shit. It was like, and I can't remember the name of the film, but Woody Allen did one that I said, that is the worst movie I've ever seen, and I, I'm a big Woody Allen fan. The movie yeah. before uh-huh. with Scarlett Johansson was fantastic, yeah. and I can't remember what it was. So do you go to living room theaters? You're right around the corner. All the time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Um, but we just, went to, we just went to a 9.30 in the morning showing of Tarzan, which, by the way, is friggin' awesome. Awesome. You do the, the, the new Tarzan. Tarzan. The new Tarzan the is new Tarzan. absolutely spectacular. You're like one of the first person I've heard say that. Oh, the New York Times just raved about it. All they, the critics okay. have been loving it. But it was at the Century Theater out on on 82nd and uh, and Powell. Yeah. Which has now they're they're renovating the whole theater. They they've done half so far, and they've taken two thirds of the rows out of each theater, and they've basically separated the re- remaining rows at which they've expanded with walls, so you can't see anybody in front of you or behind you. And they've put in like three foot wide lounge, like faux leather lounge chairs that you push a button and they go back and the feet lift up mm. and all that stuff. And it, it was actually quite, yeah. quite comfortable. And we saw Tazer in there. It was great. Uh, I, um, so I see a lot of movies. I read a lot of books. Uh, any nature, you're in Oregon. I'm um, not hearing we, anything Yeah, we outside. do our walks and, and stuff like that. I'm not a huge, I mean, you know, I'm a New York Jew. So yeah, no, it's we don't, We're suspicious of nature. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Woody Allen's. Like, you know, there's like, you close the screen door and there's like flies and mosquitoes and they're killing themselves on the screen doors. Well, but you would think some of Oregon would seep into your bloodstream at, you. at some point. You've been no, it has. Time. And I, I, we, you know, I bike a bit and we take walks in the country and, and do that, and you know, um, snowshoe in the winter. It's just not something that I do daily. It's, uh, you know. Well, I would think the reason I ask is because you, um, you had your column in the Oregonian. You used to, yeah. Uh, about type D. Before they diabetes. banned anybody who lived within a thousand miles from writing for it. As, a, as that was yeah. the deal. So, but that's part of being healthier. I mean, I've yeah, been, no, I've been it, getting out more because I had a yeah, little warning. So. I got more hate mail from my. I wrote a column on walking because mm-hmm. that was I used to walk four miles a day when I was doing the column. And um, so I, I, I used to, I used, to, I gave out my in the column. I gave out my email address, and I used to pretty much answer most emails. I mean, I get like five hundred a week sometimes. And um, I wrote a column about walking, in which I said, now to qualify this, I grew up in New York City, which is maybe the best walking city in the world. I lived in Paris for three years, which another fabulous mm-hmm. walking city. Um, and so I, I made the mistake of saying that that you know compared to them. And I did qualify it. I said, compared to them, you know, Portland's not 
a great walk, urban walking series city. It's a great nature walking city. I mean, with Forest Park and with, you know, you go three minutes outside of, of, of Portland and, and it's a great place to walk. But when I'm talking about urban walking experiences, you're talking about masses of people and interesting things to see on every block and, you know, um, great dumpsters to dive. And, you know, I mean, really, you know, just, I mean, you know, I, like New York, you know, you, you walk, you walk in New York and every other block, the whole neighborhood changes and there are always interesting people. See here, you can get stuck for for a half an hour at one of the bridges going up. I mean, that's not a great walking urban walking experience. I got people sending me books. I got an author of that's a Portland a walking book sending me a book. How dare you? You know, it's a it's the best walking city in the world. Everything in Portland, of course, has to be the best walk, the best of its kind. Um, and I'm not. I love Portland. I I really it's it's you know it's a great city, but it's not the best of everything. It has some great things here and, and, and a lot of great things here and some best things here. It's probably the best beer city I've ever, you know, I've ever been to. It's not a great baseball town, you know, and, and, um, you and me both, man, that's my, that's my gripe. Drivers and ba- no baseball. Oh, the drivers here, you know, it's like, yeah, you go. <laughs> well, it's not, like, it's just being behind him in the left. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what, the, what brought you, cause you came from New York to Portland, yeah. right? What, what brought um, well, you? Well, we, uh, like I said, we had a restaurant that was open for three years and then closed. We were completely broke. My daughter, Claire, was born a month after we closed the restaurant. And we're walking around. I'm walking around the village with this eight-pound little girl on my on my chest, no money, debts up the wazoo, owing sales to, taxes. Sorry, statute of limitations gone. Taxes to the state of New York. And um, saying, let's get out of here. So... Um, we had both. We had both lived in. My wife and I. She went to. She has a master's from Stanford. We both lived in the Bay Area. I cooked in San Francisco, and then um, we had thought we might, at some point, move back to the West Coast, but not San Francisco. We've checked out um, Seattle, and and my sister in law has a big house, single woman, up in North Portland, who offered to put us up. So we visited Seattle. We got caught in a two and a half hour traffic jam, and said, Portland. Yeah. And now, if you visit it today, you'd get caught in the two and a half hour traffic. You know, there's not no two quite, and a half hour traffic. Well, wait a minute. In, it's a lot worse. Not two and a half hours. In, in but it's Portland. a lot worse than 10 years ago. It's, in Seattle or here? No, here. Yeah, definitely worse. But, yeah. you know, the distances are so short here. It's yeah, like you the, get in a traffic jam and it's like, okay, it takes you 10 or 15 minutes longer than it would have. Right. It's, you know? a, it's a 45 minute max yeah, problem. Yeah. Here. And that's not so bad. You know, I mean, right. I, I my son lives in LA, he works for SpaceX, and I have. Some family in LA, so I and I now have some business in LA, so I I go down there every few months or so, and I've spent extended periods down there with my with my uncle and um, when I was uh, uh, in my twenties, and and you know I like LA. It's a it's a really fun place. I don't like the the high end LA, but the 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 iconic food places and just again the the oddness of the place. And but the reason I really couldn't live there was was just you spend so much time in your car. Um, it's just, I mean, why there's such a waste of time, you know? Hey, Chris, right now might be a great time for us to take a brief pause and talk about one of our favorite things, that being Chew Dining Club. You know, we're really, um, happy that, that some businesses have, um, taken the trouble and the opportunity to support this podcast because in not only supporting this podcast, they're supporting all the folks we're showcasing here. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're really... It's really a statement on support of the local Portland food scene. So we appreciate it. Chew Dining Club, uh, which is an app you can find on your iPhone or Android. your Android phone, right. which I have. You basically check into some restaurants. Uh, you 
as part of the program, input your check number, get some credit, and you'll get some goodies as you go. But uh, also keep abreast of some of the cool things going on at some of Portland's coolest restaurants. The, way, the, the best way for me to visualize this is a lot of these uber big national chains have similar reward programs. But, you know, you have to go to those to experience that. This is a way that the Chew Dining Club connects all these Portland local restaurants into a similar concept where you're getting these rewards. And uh, it's just awesome. It's a number of great restaurants. Lardo's in there. Mm-hmm. St. Jack. I uh, went to Oven and Shaker also. Yeah. Been doing the pizza rounds lately. Nice. And uh, and so it's a it's a really nicely done app. And we really appreciate the fact that they're supporting the podcast. So it's really simple. Just go download it and get going with it. Get it on iTunes or Google Play. Wherever you get your apps, you'll get the Chew Dining Club app and download it for free today. You have, you mentioned your son working for uh-huh. SpaceX now. Yeah. That's pretty, your kids yeah. are doing some pretty, pretty incredible amazing. things. Yeah. So one's worth working for SpaceX yeah. on the edge of technology, yeah. on the got, cutting in fact, edge. There, in fact, there was a flight last night, which I missed. Um, I heard about that, yeah. a successful yeah. takeoff and landing. Yeah. And uh, so he, he got an um, engineering degree from Harvey Mudd about a year ago, and his senior project was working with SpaceX engineers to help develop the black box for the Mars craft. Um, how cool hmm. is that? And so now, and then they hired him out of college, and it was for, well, the airport's opening, so that'll change, but he's, like, making more than I am. <laughs> and then has a, you know, 22-year-old kid with a, sharing a place six blocks from the beach in Redondo Beach, just bought a 2011 Mustang and living the life. And he's working on life support systems for the Mars crafts. Wow. Yeah, very cool. And we took the SpaceX tour. He, he showed us around, and it was like something out of a, like Flash Gordon, the future, you know, and all these little workshops where they're working on the fuel tanks, and they're working on this and that, and it was very cool. So I have a suggestion for uh-huh. you. He's 22, you uh-huh. said? 20, just turned 23. So it's what I did last night when I was talking about I had to turn off the crap, the medical shit. Uh-huh. And all. We, I watched uh, the CNN series, The 80s, on um technology uh-huh. go watch that with him okay. sometime if you have the opportunity because it's yeah. when everything started and now it's in crazy land oh, and yeah. by the way the pace is in just... 30 years we're going to look back and think what we thought of right. the 80s right. so and, and then, it's great because he comes home to visit occasionally and i say you know graham clean up your room it's not rocket science you know and uh, he responds to that <laughs> you got the Hey-oh. now if claire would only be a a brain surgeon, I'd have all my bases covered. Well, yeah, but Claire's an <laughs> incredible Claire's chef. Claire's a great right? pastry chef up in Seattle, yes. And she she cut her teeth coming in um, before, she went to St. Mary's and, and high school and um, and grew up in my restaurants, you know, and, and so she was pretty familiar with, with the life. And uh, and she'd come in at, at five in the morning and bake bagels and rye bread and pastries and all that stuff every day before um, before school. And she learned to love it and she... She just loved the the whole life in general. I mean, she'd party with my staff, my prep cooks. She'd go to their parties, and they, you know, they really knew that. Okay, you know, they might give her a few sips, but you know, be how careful. old was she? The, the, she was fifteen or so. Oh, just the 15 age. Fifteen or sixteen. Oh yeah. We were getting into bars at fifteen. Oh yeah. So, um, and um, then when she she got into um, she graduated with honors, and she got into the honors college at NYU. And took a gap year to go woofing in um, in Europe. And you, you know what? Familiar with what, woofing is worldwide opportunities in organic farming. Hmm. And you sign up for a country. There's websites for just about every country in the world. And you say, okay, I want to go to Italy. So you sign up for their website, and they sh- they have a listing of all these organic farms. Some of them are connected with restaurants or inns or bakeries or whatever. And you 
you commit to working for them for 30 hours a week doing whatever, and you get free room and board, and you go around Europe from farm to farm. You can stay for two weeks. You can stay for three months, depending on what they have available or what they need. So she went on her own at 18 years old, um, went off and worked in Italy and France and Belgium, I believe, and in England. She worked on a um, – they, they, she, like, filleted some roadkill at some point. So they, they put her on some, like, um, um, rat cattle farm, you know, butchering meat, and she worked on a dairy farm. And she worked in the hills of Lyon, I think, or somewhere around there, or, or um, Grenoble maybe, with a baker who did organic wheat. And she helped harvest the wheat and turned it into bread and sold it at the market. And she did that for about six or eight months, I think. And during that time, um, the, um, the International Cooking Professionals Group um, had its annual conference in Portland. So I kind of acted as like unofficial host and showed a few of them around. And I met a woman named Faith Willinger, who is a... Um, the Italian, well, she's American, but she's the Italian correspondent for the Atlantic Monthly living in Florence. And she's written about seven or eight really authoritative books on Italian baking. And we got to talking and she offered to kind of mentor Claire for a while in Italy. So Claire came back, spent the summer here, went, took a second gap year, (coughs) excuse me, and went and worked in two, two and three star restaurants baking in Sicily and in Florence and in all these places in Italy for about five or six months. And she came back and she said, who the fuck needs college? So she entered the life and within. That was college. Yeah. Within a year she had her, and she's now 22 or three, I think 22. Within a year she had her first head baking position with, uh, with chef's table restaurant, the um, Corazon, the one that Mm -hmm. opened and closed real quick. And then she became the first, um, head baker for Ava Jean's when they opened and worked for them for a while. And then she got kind of recruited to come up to Seattle and open this um, restaurant, this Galician restaurant near the market, which wasn't very well thought out. It it stayed on. I think it's still open, but they changed the, they couldn't afford to keep her. She was in Portland. She was entrenched in Portland. And she loves uh, Portland. I think she'll end up here. She wants to, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, she likes still, she's still a bit of a vagabond and, and now she's working for uh, Renee Erickson's group um, as the head pastry chef for three restaurants, well, two restaurants and a donut place called uh, General Porpoise. What, what are the two restaurants? I can't remember the name. Is it the Whale Winds? Is that one of them? Could be. Interesting. Okay. Could be. Um, but that's so 22. But she's just living the life. Now Poor she's 25. Well, and When I was 22, I can't even. I, oh, I know. I had nothing. I was scrub, peeling potatoes. Nothing in nothing like that. To, I was peeling potatoes in some Boston restaurant for $1.90 an hour, which was the minimum wage back then. Yeah. A dollar 90. Yeah. I it was when I was a, it was 250. Yeah. When I started. No, she's 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 got it. She's got the world by. I mean, she has a better resume so, than I have and uh, and she's just killing it and she's winning all these awards and doing all these That's crazy. Yeah. At 22. I didn't realize I'd met her, you know, a few years ago uh-huh. at some PCA yeah, she's 25 now. And, oh, she's 25 now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So imagine where she's got to go. So we'll hear yeah. Was she in the Young Guns? Running um, I don't know if she was in the Young Guns. She won. She's got five she more won years. She for for um, Zagat did a thirty people under thirty, and she got that, and she won Star Chef. She won Pastry Chef thing for Rising Star for Seattle. Wow, and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So you're that you're very prideful man. Oh yeah, no, she's amazing. And you don't have to do. Anything. You know, she's she's. Um, I think that the best you can do for your kids is to have them go out in the world and 
do something that they have passion for and like. Because the idea of, of you know, going into work every day for eight hours a day and doing something you don't like is like, you know, fucking stupefying. I mean, it's just really silly. It's a prison term. Yeah. And she, you know, both kids are doing things they love and the, doing things that can take them wherever they want to go with it. And, you know, she's, I, I wouldn't say she's fearless, just as I wouldn't say that I am. But I think that, I mean, we're afraid of things, but it's like, it's, that fear doesn't stop getting your way. And it's, I mean, I've done caterings for 12, you know, in New York, I did caterings for 12,000 people. And it was like, <laughs> are you sure you can no do, fear. are you can, sure you can do this? And I was like, I'll figure it out. I got three months, you know, and she's just the same way. She called me in Paris when she was being, um, when she was being romanced to come up to Seattle. I was, we were in, in Italy and then ended up in Paris and she called us and she said that, you know, um, I, this is scary. I don't know. You know, I've never done, they have like 90 seats and a, and a, and I'm responsible and whatever. Yeah. And, and I, I really haven't done this before. And, and then she said, so I think I should take it. And yeah, of course, why would you not? It was an offer too good. We refused. So that kind of fearlessness I think is, will stand, will stand her well her whole life. So what do you think you did as parents? Um, to get to, um, to, to you end know, up with two kids who were my wife was a was a um, was a modern dancer when we met in New York, and um, then she was a graphic designer. But she all, then she um, started a Pilates studio. She got tired of sitting in one place and always like moving. So about eight or ten years ago, she got certified and started a studio, and which she still got. And you know, I've never worked in an office in my life. I've ne- one of my favorite quotes is, is Thoreau said, you know, never take a job. You have to get new clothes for it. And I, you know, I think that that's true. I think that I've been in this business for 39 years and I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, there are times that are really frustrating and there are times when the, the business failed or didn't do well, but it's always been interesting. I've always loved it. I get to play with food all day long. What's more fun than that? So, you know, that was one of the, that was one of the, things I'm going to go back to Nick for one second you know this wasn't his world and his life even though he's peripherally he's he he was into it but um we had this conversation when he left the restaurant and stopped working there you know he just and and a lot of this had to do with conflict between him and, and myself but he said it's just not fun every day and I said you know it's not there are times when I I mean last week I had two managers give their notice and a, and a line cook quick and quit. And it's impossible to get line, good line cooks now. And it was just like, I'm tearing my hair out. I started the week like that. And I ended up the week solving all those problems and it was not fun. It was not fun at all, but it was really interesting. And I learned more about myself and how to deal with people and, um, got to know some new people. And it, this is not something you get, you know, in a not working in an office in general. And these things happen every day. Well, you know? talk about pulling some positives out of negative. Yeah, well. And, it's not like you ju- you're just learning how to replace yeah, a line cook yeah. and how to replace staff. Yeah. So. Oh, no, I've done it hundreds of times. Yeah. So. And that was, you know, the thing, one of the differences between Nick and I. He's, he, was, he always accused me. He says, like, you're, you're always optimistic. And I went, <laughs> I, I went, I've been a chef in the restaurant business for, you know, for 39 years. Look in the dictionary. That's a fucking definition of optimism. You know, if you can keep opening restaurants after you've had restaurants fail and keep at it and keep coming in every day and, you know, whatever, 
that's optimism. That defines it. And, uh, you know, I know, you know, if we have a piss poor day today and we only do, you know, X amount of business, I said, I know it's going to be better tomorrow. I, I just do. It's not always, but I do. I know it. You know, it can be. It can always be. Yeah, and if it's not better tomorrow, the next day. Yeah, you have to just keep carrying that on. Yeah. So um, I need to ask the pastrami question. Okay. Just to get to actual food. Um, we had a little conversation once over social media about sliced versus hand sliced versus machine sliced. Right. I like my pastrami really thin. Okay. Well, and you're an idiot, you know. What can I say? There. I, 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 <laughs> Cordes. I think it answers the question right there. Right. Yeah, I mean, what, I do I need to, to say I anything to else? I open up the floor to being an idiot. That right was actually after. my that was actually my first experience in in Portland. When we moved here. We got off the boat and it was like we were here for about three weeks. And I went. I say, okay, so where's the where's the Jewish where's the deli? And they pointed me towards a deli which I'll go not nameless, but still open in in Northwest Portland. And um, you want the address? Um, and I I walked in and. I said, can I have a, actually, I think I asked for corned beef. Can I have some corn, a corned beef sandwich um, with mustard and a half pound of lox? And so they proceeded to um, take some corned beef. That's what they called it anyway. Take some corned beef and slice it on the slicer so that you could, you could see through it. Literally, you could see through it. It was so paper thin. And they piled it on a Kaiser roll, if I'm not mistaken, and they stuck it in the microwave. And oh, I'm, nice. and I went like, okay, you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, and and I just had come from New York, and I right. think one of our last meals was at Katz's, and um and then the locks, they to their credit, they sliced it to order, it wasn't pre-sliced, but it should have been pre-sliced because th- this woman had never picked up a knife in her life. I came really close to say to vaulting the counter and say, let me do that for you. She just hacked away at it. So, you know, um, um. I, I think that there's a um, there's a when you're slicing it. I'm going to qualify this by saying it may it may depend on the pastrami. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm sure there's a there's a certain pastrami that ha- will not work hand slice. Will not right, fit. right. And you know our 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 pastrami, if they're doing it right, they shouldn't be able to machine slice it um, because it'll just fall apart. Um, unless they did it before it was steamed and then microwaved it or did whatever. Um, I think the flavor is enhanced by the hand slicing and it's a, it's a subtle thing that a lot of people may not even pick up on, but I think that slicing it on a, on a machine paper thin, um, it's, it's kind it, it, it's, um, it kind of squashes the the membranes. You know when you make a hamburger patty, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to work it so much, right? Because if you work it so much, it collapses all the all the fat membranes and it becomes kind of tough and not as juicy and all that stuff. It's kind of the same thing. I think that slicing it on a slicer um, does a similar thing to the to the meat, and it 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 makes it kind of um, I don't know. Well, you, when you're as you're discussing it, that's mm-hmm. apples to apples. That's right. taking good the the meat that you have such pride in that right. you make that so well, and it probably is. I'm not saying yours at Kenny and Zook's right. is not no, no, my I, preference. Right, I understand. But well, I you've mean, never had ours machine sliced, so how would you know? Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> know. So can, maybe I can come in. You, do you have a machine? We do have a machine. We slice, like, you know, roast beef and turkey breast. Yeah, you, you have know, to. For the, That's for the right. You can't hand slice roast Who don't beef. understand why they're there. <laughs> and is your roast beef rare? Yes. Like, well, yes. if they're doing it right, it's rare. We yeah, roasted well, it, it, and the object be. is rare. Yeah, it's, it's, that's hard to find sometimes in yeah. uh, in yeah. Portland 
And we, we just started a relationship with a company because, well, for the airport location, which you haven't asked me about, um, that's opening in the end of October, we have to, we, we get to, it, we're not technically running it, even though it's a Kenny and Zooks deli. It's a, it's a company that's using our recipes, using our products, our procedures and all that stuff. And so we technically can't provide them with our pastrami because we're not a USDA house. So we can make all the pastrami in-house from, from brining through smoking. Um, we can do all that for our customers. But for the airport customers, it has to be done in the USDA. So we've got the company in um, L.A. who does pastrami for Langer's and a bunch of other really good delis, and they're doing our recipe to our specs, and you can't tell the difference, and they just ship it up to us. Well, good, so you don't feel there's a compromise. No, and that was a big issue for me, was you know, how easy is it going to be to find somebody? But now that we have, we're going to start trying to sell it to like New Seasons and other stores, and we're coming out with a private label Kenny and Zook's mustard and Russian dressing that's being made by Beaver Mustard for us, and we're talking to, do you know Chris Onstead? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Chris is uh, makes, he makes a root beer for us on tap, which is fabulous, and we're working we're working together to try to develop a a root beer and a um, a cream soda and a celery under our our name, and it's going to be called um, Doctor Ken's Elixir. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So those are and that's only going to be out at the airport. No, no, no. Both, we'll, but... we'll once once we come up with it, then we'll have it at, at the deli. We'll have it at the airport, and then we'll try to sell it in stores and maybe nationally. So and. Um... I guess it's kind of a, a rhetorical question, but why why the airport? What made you decide to go out of, to open for the, money. the airport? Yeah, that's and the exactly exposure. it. There you go. Um, I, I've been working on it for two years, and we kind of got a false start. We were hooked up with another company to do it, and then we settled with the one we're with. And it's it's like it's the best location in the whole airport. Where? What's which terminal? You walk through security, and you're going to the C terminal, which is Alaska and Southwest to and all left, that stuff I to think. the left. Yeah. And we're 30 feet from where you exit security. So you're, we're the first place you come to. There was a Starbucks there until three months, oh, about yeah. a month ago. I know the place, yeah. And then it's being expanded, so we're going to have 3,200 square feet. Is that where Country feet. Cat is? No, they're in the, they're in D, uh, we're in C, they're in the other terminal. Oh, you're on the, okay, yeah. I gotcha. So I it's the first are. place you come to. It's going to be 3,200 square feet with us as the centerpiece and then like a little market of like local products. We're talking to Alma Chocolates. We're talking to a bunch of local people, to Very nice. um, Jacobs and Salts, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, and it's going to kill. Um, so I think more, you, you kind of jokingly said for the money, and that's, yeah. but uh, I also think it's a great marketing. It's a great marketplace. Because it's going to make your restaurant downtown. It, it'll that do that. Money. It'll be great for our wholesale products. It'll be, you know, for just for our brand in general. And it gets our name out there more. It's, you know, it's, it's win-win. And I don't have to hire a single person except, well, an, an extra baker or two. Well, that's a, that's a little onus off of you. So, um we talked about movies. Are you getting out to eat in Portland? Any places you're particularly Oh, liking? God. Um, you know, it's lately I haven't been very much. Um, but, you know, it's it's so ridiculous. It's like there's 30 restaurants on my list of places I want to go to, and every time we end up going to one, there's two more added, added to the list. Of it's course. crazy. Um, but it doesn't always have to be the new. I mean, No, enjoy- no. And, I, I, you know, I, I, we don't get out that much because we always, we always end up going, yeah, let's go here. No, let's go here. And then we said – Oh, let's just go back to Biwa. We love it so much, and you know, it's our go-to place. You know, so there's a lot of that. I mean, we haven't been that many places recently. Do you have any other go-tos besides Biwa? <sighs> I guess not. That answers. I mean, your you know, question. we'll go. We'll, we we tend to go out for we tend to go out, you know, for dim sum to Ocean City, or we go to 
for ramen, you know, at, at Kukai or at the new place that opened next to um, um, the one that just opened next to the bricks and mortar from Nong's Kumangai. Oh, yeah, America. Yeah, Mir- yeah they're pretty Mir- good. So, um, Court, mark that one down. Another, another chef that all Asian. That's what they right? do. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, it's like when you're cooking in a certain kind of framework in general and you're eating a lot of that food, it's like, what kind of food do you want to go out for? I mean, we just, Le- Claire just took us to this Malaysian restaurant in on Capitol Hill where she lives and where her restaurants are. And it was friggin' awesome. It was so good and cheap for, for Seattle. I mean, it's like $14, $15 entrees. Cool. And how nice is it to have someone who knows Seattle? Who oh, yeah, she knows. Around. And she knows, she knows everybody. She knows every bartender. I don't think she's, I don't think that girl's paid for a drink in 10 years. Oh. Um, she, she's definitely a networker, which is something that I've never been great at. You know, I, I just, I'm too suspicious of people. So um, the one thing, other than pastrami, because uh, we know that's your that's uh-huh. your specialty, one thing that you would want people to come in and order uh, at Kenny and Zook's to, to oh god, um, well I mean actually we make more money on other things than pastrami, so they uh, they should really come in for the egg salad. <laughs> that's the, that's the money maker. No, it's good egg salad, but um, you know I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, I you know I I go over the the web a lot and and I'm 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 pretty fascinated sometimes by some of the you know I've had a little bit of friction in the past with with vegetarians and vegans well vegans they're not worth talking to but vegetarians hey um, <laughs> they I just I've never met one who just didn't look like they really needed a hamburger mm. um, but vegetarians you know I I understand that I can see it you know I and and um, I could do it for a day or two um, but. I went to a, there's a vegetarian PDX website or something, and I just happened to be looking at it. I don't know. Oh, I know I got some Google thing because somebody made a comment about us on it. So I went to their comment section, and somebody, I think it was the, 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 the head of the blog, said, I went to Kenny and Zook's, and there was nothing for me there except French fries and a green salad. And I actually then went back to our menu and did some research on it and went back on her site, and I said, Excuse me, did you actually even look at the menu? We have 36 things that vegetarians could order. We have two vegetarian soups. We have latkes. We have blintzes. We have four vegetarian omelets. We have four vegetarian salads. We have a vegetarian Reuben. We have it's we have more things on our menu that are vegetarian than just about any vegetarian restaurant in Portland. How could you bear? How could you say this? Do you not know how to read? Well, they're a blog. and it pissed it's a me blog. off. You it's know? a blog. Well, I know. So- and it's, it's like, you know, so I, I think that people who are vegetarians come in and they're like thrilled, you know, vegans were not so great on, but it's like, I mean, if they want to eat bacon, we can, do, we can, you know, we can do that. <laughs> well, good. And I've had nothing but good, good experiences there. You know, I have yet to come in for fried chicken. We don't Could, do it anymore. I know, so but I didn't, in. I didn't when, and then you started up a year or so ago. Maybe? Yeah, we did it again. I, it's, it's, it's hard because it really kind of went up and down and I always, and I found that if I wasn't there. It just didn't come out as good, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be there on Wednesday nights when we were doing it. So, we'll try it again sometime. Good. I'll 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 stay in. I'll touch. let you know. Yeah, let me know. And but I do want to come in for the slice versus machine slice test. Just okay. To, just to try that. <laughs> well, we'll have to steam it when it's cold, and then I mean slice it when it's cold, and then steam it or something. All right. I don't mean to make you make your day any it's worse. It's gonna be a whole new process, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Come on. Thanks so much for coming in. You are appreciate it. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com, Portland's original food and drink news and review blog brought to you by the legendary food dude. 
now featuring the huge outdoor dining list you'll need to eat, drink, and enjoy the Portland summer sunshine and fresh air. Check it out today at portlandfoodanddrink.com. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Okay,